Good morning. This is Jake Brown, and I'm the preacher at Liberty Christian Church in beautiful Madison, Indiana. We meet every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. You can find us at 8774 North U.S. Highway 421, Madison, Indiana. We love to meet new people, and we love to make ourselves available to help others learn the true story of who Jesus is, what he did, why he did it, and how to personally get in on the story. Well, it's just about time for the sermon to start, so turn up the volume, tune out the distractions, and it is my prayer that you find this morning's message engaging and meaningful. Young Mary Lycus seemed blessed as she was born into what we would typically call a Christian home. She and her parents would attend a Church of Christ every Sunday. They also went to most of the other Bible study opportunities that the church offered. They rarely missed a church dinner. Christmas Eve service, they were there. Resurrection Sunday, sunrise service, they were there. New Year's Eve party at the church, they were there. Uh, revival meeting at the church, they were there. Mary's parents even read from an accurate translation of the Bible. They learned from a preacher and other teachers who truly taught the straight and narrow way. Mary's parents believed the truth and could typically spot the lies. You wouldn't hesitate to fellowship with these people. As for Mary, she had heard the right way all these years. She had heard the false doctrine exposed. She had heard the truth explained. She had been a, a part of lessons that explained some of the finer points of doctrine with great clarity. When Mary went to college, Mary didn't know it, but Mary didn't know what she knew. What I'm saying is Mary didn't realize it, but she was unconvinced. She had never really tried to learn. Preachers and teachers had offered her spiritual food time and time again, but she was never really actually hungry. The spoon was lifted for her many times back at her church, but she never had the desire to open her mouth. And so when her future spouse at college was into spiritual junk food, it looked good to her too. When her friends were into spiritual junk food, it seemed harmless to her. When she tasted it, it seemed more flavorful. It felt like it was satisfying. It appeared like something that, that she had been missing all these years, and it caused Mary to feel like she could never go back to the stuff that was actually good for her. Now, Mary Lycus isn't a real person. In fact, Lycus is actually the name of the river that ran through the ancient city of Colossae. I admit it, I made it up. But the story is true. The story is true over and over and over and over again. The story is true, and it's not always a young lady, and it's not always college. Sometimes it's a middle-aged couple. One gets a new job, they start spending time with some new people, and next thing you know, they're eating spiritual junk food together. And we could draw up the scenario with all kinds of people, older, women, younger men, public school, private school, blue-collar job, white-collar job, active in the church, attenders only, and so on and so on. The fact is, we're surrounded by spiritual junk food. The junk is designed to be very flavorful, very enjoyable for the moment, in the moment, very popular, but it doesn't satisfy. It just creates an insatiable craving. It doesn't make you healthier. It makes you spiritually sick. Rather than creating growth, it stunts your growth. This could be a picture of the vain philosophies, theories, lifestyles, cults, denominations, and worldviews that have us surrounded. We are starting a new message series this morning where we're going to take our time walking through the book of Colossians. The Christians in Colossae were in a situation that to some degree was similar to our own. Paul says in Colossians 1 verse 2 that they were the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae. Now, it's subtle, but it's serious. They were in Christ, but at 
Colossae. You see, we are in Christ, but at Madison. Or to really encompass the scope of our situation, we are at the United States of America. You see from Paul's words in this letter that he wrote to the Colossians from Rome in 62 or 63 AD, we gather that there was a bit of a problem with some junk Colossi philosophy, we might call it, that was infiltrating those who were in Christ. As we read through Paul's letter to the Colossians, we get somewhat of an idea of just what a problem this was. Now, some form of Gnosticism certainly seems to be uh, at least a, a big part of the problem. Now, generally speaking, Gnosticism would, would tell you that you don't even have access to certain knowledge, certain knowledge that you need to be saved. You need to join our group and our great leaders who have the special knowledge that only they have can share it with you so that you might be saved. Perhaps what made it so incredibly dangerous was how it mixed in a variety of other doctrines, some from Christianity, some from Judaism, some from Greek philosophy, some from Eastern religions. Have you ever noticed in our world, especially in our nation, and clearly even in our own town, if you mix a little Christianity into it, whatever it is, suddenly becomes Christian. A community church becomes a Christian church. A Masonic lodge becomes an organization fit for Christians. A book written by a man who mentions Jesus and the Bible suddenly becomes a Christian book and a Christian author. And of course, a singer who records a religious song or an entire album of them becomes a Christian artist. I'm subtitling this message series on Colossians, No, Show, Grow, because Paul's efforts to combat these dangerous beliefs clearly point out to us that our best defense is a good offense. In order for us to one day see the hope which is laid up for us in heaven by God, we need to know the revealed mystery of God through Christ, show our true knowledge of Christ by living right, and always be growing in him. This is how we will be able to identify and understand and combat the, the, the vain philosophies that so many men call knowledge and wisdom and, and even religion. No show grow. So look with me at Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, now, Paul had never been to Colossae, so he introduces himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ, one who was set apart for special work by none other than Jesus Christ himself. Paul, you got to know, was absolutely on par with the rest of the apostles. That was a good thing for the Colossians to know. And Paul credits Timothy with being a, a co-sender of this letter. Perhaps his calling Timothy our brother is Paul noting that uh, Timothy is a, a mutual friend. Now, maybe. I don't know for sure, but, but perhaps. Paul goes on to write in verse 2, "...to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father." Now, this is a, a typical greeting from Paul in his letters. Grace, something shown or given to them by God, and peace, something they could only truly experience having received grace from God. Now, look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, "...we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints." Because because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also, since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. And just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. 
And now, I, I told you, Paul had not been to Colossae, and you might have wondered, A, how did they learn about Christ then, and B, why was Paul writing them a letter? Well, the answer to both of those questions is Epaphras, right? Epaphras. Paul tells us that he prays and gives thanks for the Colossians' faith in Christ and their love for all the saints, things that they have because they learned the truth of the gospel from a man named Epaphras. And Paul, along with Timothy, prays for these guys and thanks God for these guys because he heard about them. Where? From the man named Epaphras. Epaphras shared the gospel with these Colossian Christians, and Epaphras told Paul about them. At the very end of verse 8, Paul couldn't make it any clearer, right? He says it was Epaphras who had informed him about the brethren at Colossae. Now, the next few verses are the part that I really want to chew on this morning. Paul was a man who was deeply concerned about churches. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, 28 and 29, he said, Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? The words that Paul shares in the portion of text that we're about to read show us that that Paul prayed for the Colossians because he wanted them to persevere and to receive the hope laid up for them in heaven. The the hope that he already said in verse 5 they had heard about in the gospel. It's good, you know, to have someone who is intensely concerned about your salvation like the Apostle Paul said he was. And so let's learn. Let's learn from Paul some some general things that we need to understand, we need to pray about, and we need to implement into our lives so that as we're in Christ, but also surrounded by the philosophies of the world, we don't stray from the hope that is laid laid up for us in heaven, but instead walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So this first part of uh, Paul's prayer for the Colossians, I'm calling the know and grow part. The know and grow part. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 with me now. He says, for this reason also, he's meaning because of the hope in the gospel that that these Colossians knew about, because of the faith that they had in Christ and, and their love for their brothers and sisters in Christ, all those things he's just talked about. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, We have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, Paul knows that any Christian, and especially one in the predicament the Colossians were facing, needs to be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so he he says that he has not ceased to ask God for that on their behalf, right? And now I think it's interesting, the, the short phrase, to ask, right there, to ask, it's actually translated from a word for prayer that means to ask something from God that is necessary or required, something that is needed. Now, that's kind of specific, isn't it? You see, it was clear to Paul, and he was making it clear to the Colossians, that they needed to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And if we look into the word uh, translated as knowledge here that Paul use, uses, uh, Paul again is being specific. He isn't just talking about some undefined or unquantified level of knowledge. He's used a compound word here that means full knowledge, a knowledge that cannot be improved upon. Now, isn't that interesting? Could it be that Epaphras had told Paul that the Colossian church was being infiltrated by some who were saying that what these uh, Colossian Christians had learned was, was all well and good, but that knowledge of Christ and his church were not enough. 
that there was additional knowledge that they didn't have and couldn't learn without joining this other group and following its practices too? Could it be? Could it be? You see, Paul knows the Colossian Christians need to be filled with this all-sufficient knowledge. In other words, they didn't need to be leaving any room for other theories or philosophies or deities, which would, of course, only lead to miseries. (laughs) They needed to be filled with this all-sufficient knowledge of His will, which is, of course, God's will. um, And God's will would be all of his declared purpose for mankind. That's, that's what God's will is. That's the knowledge they need to have. Are we talking about uh, living according to the gospel? Yep. Are we talking about studying his word? Yes. Are we talking about loving our neighbor? Yes. Are we talking about keeping in step with sound doctrine? Yeah. Sharing your knowledge of salvation with others? Yes. All of this is the will of God that needs to be known by us. And when Paul says that he prays for them to be filled with this knowledge in all spiritual wisdom, spiritual wisdom. He's talking about godly wisdom, wisdom from the Holy Spirit. It is wisdom that doesn't come from carnal or fleshly sources like the Gnostics were selling. In Job 28, 28, it says there, and to man he said, God said, the Lord said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. In Proverbs 1, verse 7, the Scripture says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, the first part of verse 30 says, But by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. You see, respecting and revering God is real wisdom, the wisdom that Paul is talking about here. Learning who Christ is and modeling your life after His example, that is real wisdom, the wisdom that Paul is talking about here. And the understanding that Paul refers to in verse 9 is talking about possessing the, the ability to discern the will of God in specific scenarios. Not a mystical thing, but more of a well-trained thing. Okay, one commentator put it like this. The words of the Holy Spirit in Scripture give great principles by which the will of God can be known as decisions are being made. So let's get personal with this. I want you to ask yourself, as I ask myself, what am I doing to be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Remember, Paul prayed to God for this on behalf of all the Christians at Colossae as something they needed, as something that was required. Now ask yourself, as I ask myself, how can I begin to treat this as a need, as something that is required? Like the Colossians, most of us who are hearing this message right now have faith in Christ Jesus. We have love for our fellow saints. Like the Colossians, most of us through the gospel have heard about and are driven by the hope laid up for us in heaven. Now how can we begin to view being filled with the all-sufficient knowledge of God's will as something that is as vital to our spiritual lives as oxygen is to our physical lives. If I could be very poignant for just a moment, there are a lot of people who fear COVID-19 right now because they fear, of course, that they're going to get the worst case of it where it deprives them of their ability to fill up their lungs with air. Now, that's a natural and understandable fear. In the same way, church, we need to fear anything that might steal our ability to fill our minds and our hearts with the all-sufficient knowledge of God's will, i.e., our own laziness, our busy schedules, apathy, man-made mantras, denominational doctrines, falsehoods of every kind. 
not going to happen without a plan. And it's not going to happen without prayer. And it's not going to happen without practice or participation. In other words, we need to think about this ahead of time. We need to pray about it ahead of time. And we need to actually actively do our part to be filled with and only with the knowledge of God's will. But of course, there's more than just knowing His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. There's the doing part of it, the doing part of it. There's the, the, the practical part of it. There's the, the where the rubber hits the road part of it. There's the, I know the will of God. Here's the situation I'm in, and now I'm going to do the will of God part of it. For now, we'll call it the show and grow part. Show and grow. Here's how Paul says it in verses 10 through 12. He says, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. It's no wonder Paul considered being filled with the knowledge of God's will as something that was critical. He he prays for them to be filled with that knowledge so that they will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, a way that is pleasing to God. Now, walking here, of course, refers to how you behave on a regular or consistent basis. To say that you're walking according to God's will is to say that you're consistently behaving the way that God wants you to behave. In other words, you're showing that you know what the will of God is. You don't just know it, but you're showing that you know it. Oh, there are a lot of people who know the will of God, but don't show it. And on the other hand, there are a lot of people who aren't filled with the knowledge of God's will. And guess what? It shows. Paul wants the Colossians to show it, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, worthy of the Lord, or in proportion to what the Lord has done for them. And how does he say he prays that they'll do that? Well, he lists four different ways here. First of all, by bearing fruit in every good work. Paul writes this in the present tense. He's saying that one way to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, something that pleases him, is when a Christian is continually fruitful, constantly producing, regularly doing good. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 through 40, uh, Jesus seems to suggest some of the expected ways that we would be bearing fruit in every good work. In these verses, Jesus refers to those who will inherit the kingdom, saying that, that they had fed the hungry, they had given drink to the thirsty, shown hospitality to the stranger, clothed the naked, visited the sick, and went to those who were in prison. And Jesus says that there is a direct connection between doing these things for others and doing these things for Him. Literally, a direct connection. Jesus said, if you do these things for others, you're doing them for me. Really? For Jesus? Yes, really, for Jesus. Perhaps right now would be a a good time for you and me both to, to pause and to reconsider those excuses that we've given for not letting go of that money or not giving that time, not lending our ear, not making that visit, ignoring or avoiding that need. Secondly, Paul says we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord by increasing in the knowledge of God. Again, we have a a present tense verb here, so we are uh, to regularly, consistently be doing this. And what is this? 
Well, this happens to be increasing or growing by the knowledge of the Word of God. It's the the, the knowledge of God's Word that causes a Christian to grow. Think rain and sunshine to a plant. That's the knowledge of God's Word to a Christian. It should be regularly growing and maturing us as Christians. But it can't do that if you starve yourself of it. Many of us know people who have a regimented process by which they care for houseplants, flowers, or even a garden. And some of you are that person. Well, is it a small thing for that plant to just go without water or sunlight for for a week or maybe a few weeks, possibly even a couple months or, or, or more? Well, now... Think about your spiritual life like that house plant, or maybe those tomatoes or cucumbers out in the garden. How much sunlight and water are they getting? How much sunlight and water is your spiritual life getting? Is it enough to keep you uh, growing and growing and growing as we're taught to do? Thirdly, Paul says, we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord by being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Now, strengthened with all power. That phrase right there could mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people in a lot of different contexts. Thankfully, Paul gives the Colossians the context that is needed. He's talking about power, he says, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Steadfastness and patience is what should stand out to us there. That tells us that Paul is talking about an inner strength, not the ability to to deadlift two tons or to leap tall buildings in a single bound, but the ability to bear up in difficult situations. You guys, being steadfast is hard. It's hard when the world seems to be working against you. Inner strength is what's needed. Being, being patient is, you guys know this, is genuinely difficult when, when Christians around you aren't acting much like Christians. Inner strength is what is needed. Now, the bad news is that inner strength that you need, it isn't inside you just naturally. It isn't there. The good news is Paul says that strength is sourced from God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. Now, let me ask you this. What are the limitations of His might? His might or His power, that's limitless, right? So the next time you're tempted to give up on a situation, remember the power that you can access to remain steadfast for Him. And the next time that you're tempted to retaliate or to fly off the handle and make that smart remark, remember the power that you can access to have that patient spirit that is uh, certainly evidence of the Spirit within you. And then fourthly and finally, Paul says, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord involves joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Christians should give thanks with joy to God the Father because He qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. God qualified us. He offered salvation. He made it possible. He made the sacrifice. He held out the gift. It is by Him and in Him that we are qualified to receive the inheritance He has promised. We walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and please Him when we joyously give Him thanks for this. I know that sounds obvious, but then again, how often do we do it? How often are we joyously giving Him thanks? I know I could improve a whole lot, actually. Honestly, no matter how often you do it or how filled with joy you are as you do it, there would always be room for improvement, wouldn't there? After all, God qualified us. He made us fit for heaven. Verses 13 and 14 expand that thought like this. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and 
transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption of the forgiveness of sins. Guys, we weren't just rescued. We were invited into a kingdom. And we weren't just invited into a kingdom. We were adopted into a royal family. And it isn't just a royal family. We've been transferred into the kingdom of God's own son, the kingdom which belongs to the one who paid the price for our sin. So in the morning, let's wake up with joy and give thanks to God the Father. In the evening, let's not let our joy in Him wane. In reality, it should have only grown throughout the day. Let's give thanks to God the Father. And when it feels like our families are torn apart, let's still joyously give thanks to God the Father. When we're diagnosed, let's still joyously give thanks to God the Father. When the bank account is low and it won't be replenished in time, let's still joyously give thanks to God the Father. You see, None of these circumstances change the fact that God has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. None of these circumstances change the fact that He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And none of these circumstances change the fact that He has transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. This morning, let's make Paul's prayer for the Colossians our own prayer. A prayer for ourselves, for our families, and for our brothers and sisters in Christ, our church. Let's pray to be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. As we finish things up here today, I'd like to ask those of you listening on the radio right now the most important question that any of us could ever be asked. It's a question that each and every single one of us needs to be able to answer honestly. Here's the question. If the Lord were to return today, do you know for sure, no doubts, that you'd go to live with him forever? I mean, do you know for certain that he's going to let you into heaven? Can a person even know? In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, the apostle John writes that we can know. He says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, Scripture says that there's coming a day when the Lord Jesus Christ will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So according to the Bible here, somebody's going to get in trouble when Jesus returns. Somebody's going to pay. Now, who did this passage of Scripture say was going to pay the penalty of eternal destruction? Well, there are two groups listed here. Those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Now, before we can obey the gospel, we must believe the gospel. We must believe that Jesus did what the Bible says he did for us. We need to believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is. The Bible says that Jesus is the Christ. He's the one who would come to save us from our sins. He is the son of the living God. He himself is God, one of the three distinct personalities that make up God. And he is God the son who came to earth in human form. 
We must hear the gospel and believe it. We must trust Jesus completely. We must make a distinct turn away from sinful living and toward God's holiness and righteousness. The Bible calls this change in our behavior repentance. We must confess our belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And of course, we must obey the gospel through baptism, where we are immersed in water by the authority of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is where we are baptized into Christ's death, into his burial, and raised up to newness of life by the power of God. The same power that raised Jesus from death. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and Acts chapter 22, verse 16, make it clear that at our baptism, our sins are forgiven, washed away. 1 Peter 3, verse 21 says, baptism saves us. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27 teaches us that through faith and as a result of our baptism, we become children of God, clothed with Christ. Let me ask you again, if the Lord were to return today, do you know for sure no doubts that you would go to live with him forever. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, please know that we would love to talk with you about your situation. We would love to answer any questions that you have. We would sincerely appreciate the opportunity to discuss with you the costs of following Christ. If you're interested, just keep listening and we'll tell you in just a moment how you can get in touch with us. just listen to the current sermon from Liberty Christian Church, the very same sermon that you would have heard today in person at Liberty. I'm Jake Brown, and on behalf of the church, I want to thank you for listening to today's broadcast. If you're in the area, I want to encourage you to join us in person at Liberty Christian Church. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m., and I'd love to encourage you to come to both services. Our address is 8774 North U.S. Highway 421, Madison, Indiana. And if you'd like to call us, just call 812-273-1518. If you'd like to send us an email, you can do that directly from our website, www.liberty-christian.com. But again, we'd love to have you join us in person if you're physically able to do so. Remember, we love you, God loves you, and it is our prayer that he will bless you this week as you seek his truth.